So the title, come on, guys. You know, did you die? You did this intentionally. You're like, hey, he's a philosopher. This is going to drive him bonkers if we call it the history of content and it stops at like 1920. Oh, we're not going. We're not. We're not going to 1920. We're going back to like what, like 1999. Uh, <sighs> fine. So I think that the real title for this might be The History of Content According to Sarah by way of Scriptorium. So 1997 is the web is getting started, hypertext is getting started, e-commerce is sort of kind of getting started. You know, all that web stuff is is shiny and new and uh, horrifying if you go back and look at it because it, it wasn't really very attractive. But then, I mean, the, the thing that, that's interesting to me is we're trying to contextualize these 25 years and what's changed and what hasn't changed. So 25 years ago, we're talking about single sourcing and we're saying, hey, it's possible to write content and deliver both PDF and online help from the same source. And people were pushing back and saying, no, you can't. You have to write differently for the two. It's not possible. Um Today, we're kind of having that same discussion, but the, the terms are different, right? The argument of we want to combine A and B and deliver them to, from the same source, A and B are different. The single sourcing is more complicated. There's more of it. There's more channels. We're still kind of getting some pushback on that. There's agreement that the content should be um, accurate in both cases or say the same thing in both cases, but maybe not in the same way. Um, but the thing that really has me a little perturbed right now is that everybody's talking about content as a service and API-based content and all this cool stuff that you can do with it. We're talking about that, so we're part of your of your being perturbed. Yep, yep. That's you. You are part of the the problem. <laughs> your problem, not the problem, just your problem. My, my problem. Yes, my problem is okay. So we have content as a service. <laughs> And content as a service is really interesting and you can do some cool stuff with it and et cetera. But cast your mind back 25 years for those of you that are old enough to do that, Patrick. And I am old enough to do that. That is just, that will come as a just shock barely. And, oh, that's not true. Um, I'll ask you this. Isn't content as a service conceptually exactly the same thing as context-sensitive help, only bigger and more sophisticated? No. Yes, it is, though. No. You have a thing over here. It passes an ID and says, give me content, <laughs> and then it gets content. Um, okay, so okay, so there's a couple of things to respond to there, and I am going to stretch out for this one. Um, Hold on. I just want to say this is – I'm so glad I showed up today because this is – I want to see so, a rumble right now. Um, there is a fundamental difference between content as a service and – just being able to pass a library and then building it into something which is ID referenced. Um, it is an interesting point though, and I will give you that. So content as a service gives you access to content which can be maintained through a completely different governance workflow. And like that's a really important aspect to it. So the thing is like when you when you deploy content to a static asset, like um, context sensitive help, that asset ships with whatever the thing is that's that's leveraging it, right? And you know, just because you, you have the same ID referencing being done doesn't make it the same. I mean, things like you know, for all intents and purposes, it's on page three, paragraph four. That's ID referencing too. It's just that you're the thing that's doing the referencing, and the ID is page three, paragraph four, right? Like, it's an ID is just a locator. Like, what makes content as a service fundamentally different is that. The content source, the people who are managing the content, 
the thing, the actual system that is in control, that is being controlled by the information development organization is the final source of that. And it's being, and it's the latest version at all points in time and workflow happens behind that. Nothing happens in front of it. So what you have is when you have two different systems, which are leveraging content in the same way, there's never a discrepancy between which packages they're pulling that thing from, no matter how they're actually referencing it. So it's an, it's an aspect of consistency, currency, governance, and, um, you know, and quality. It's not an aspect of exactly how it's grabbed. Well, I don't disagree with any of that. It's just that <laughs> if you look at it in, if you look at it in the big picture, um, we're abstracting away the content out of the, uh, let's say, the place where it's actually rendered or consumed. And so, totally. you know, at a very, very high level, my argument is that they're the same thing. Um, not in the weeds well, uh, and not in the technology on. and not potentially in what you can do with it. But, you know, when so you not just in any of the ways that matter, but in this one right. very particular way. Okay. Yes. All right. In the, in all right. I will ways. agree with but, you that they are, that they the are point, the same the point as long is, as you exclude all the ways that matter. The point is that when we start looking at this, um, so single sourcing is, is, is maybe a better example. Um, we've been talking about single sourcing forever. It's been out there. We've been trying to do it, et cetera. And mm-hmm. just now, like in, in this year, we yeah. are looking hard at the question of can we actually single source, you know, technical content and learning content. That has always been this thing that we should, in theory, be able to do. And everybody acknowledges that there's a lot of overlap and it should, in theory, be possible. But it breaks down on practical issues like, for example, um, people saying things like, I refuse to not use PowerPoint. Mm. And if you absolutely want to author in PowerPoint, then we've got some serious problems around um, any sort of single sourcing or content sharing. So again, the thing that's that's come, that's sort of, I'm a slow learner, but after 25 years, the thing that I'm seeing is that we have these sort of recurring patterns and these recurring things that we're trying to do. Now, I was told not to go past 1997, but if we go to 1452... <laughs> to, to pick a it's random date, as it's one flexible. does, right? Um, pre-printing press, the unit of uh, reuse was the page, right? You carve a bunch of stuff on a wood block, and you can then reuse that wood block over and over again to make that page. The problem is you can't break it down any further. You're you're stuck with a mm-hmm. page-based unit of reuse. Along comes uh, movable type, which really... It's not really, I mean, it is movable type, but the key is actually it's reusable type, right? Every letter is its own block, and therefore you can put them on the page, you can compose a page, you can print a page, blah, blah, blah. Um, So your unit of reuse at that point physically is a little tiny piece of type, a letter A or B or C or whatever. Um, And now, uh, what's that, 500, 600 years? Don't make me do the math. A long time later... We are now still talking about reuse, but we're talking about reuse in the digital world, not the physical world, right? We're not talking about how do I reuse lead type, but rather how do I reuse content components. And we're still debating what the proper unit of componentization is. We know it's not a page and we know it's not a letter probably, it's something in between those two. So broadly, I know Patrick's gonna cry, but broadly, again, it's the same thing we're just negotiating scope. Wow. 
That is. I don't have to build the stuff. You do, so that's your problem. I can just talk about concepts and be happy. I love. I love watching Patrick squirm. Isn't it fun? It's fantastic. That's yeah. Um, so I'm going to start off by wa- walking on back a little bit to your learning, your learning and technical content comment, um, because I've got a little history of my little history of com- of content to share here. So we've actually had a customer that's been doing this like super successfully for like, I don't know, I want to say, how long has Skyward been with us? About 10 Steve, years. Or Jared? About 10 years. Is it, is it 10 years? I don't think it's quite 10 years. It's, but it's, it's getting close, close right? yeah. Uh, yeah, so like they have been really successful with this. And when we first started working with them, we were like, this is the future. Everybody's going to want this. And... um you know the difference between doing it and not doing it it's the guy running it it's like it's like skyward has this this guy that's running their department that is just an exceptional leader and he's a visionary and he knows how this all works and he like reassembled the organization and he got everybody in the same place and the the benefits that they've gotten from this have been just i mean phenomenal like it's been it's been incredible in terms of what they've been able to do because like one of the things that people don't really realize about the whole like reuse technical and learning content is that it's not about just not having to rewrite learning content. The problem is that the way that people create learning content today is inherently like really inefficient. I mean like the PowerPoint thing, right? So it's, it's what it's about is it's about taking not only the content reuse, which is a huge thing, but also the general efficiencies that you get from the practices and in the technical content arena and driving those into learning content. So what you get is you get, um, yeah, okay. So it's not, they're not always like little animations. They're not quite as like, they don't dance around as much, but you get really high quality content on a shorter time frame that's up to spec with the product is in line with all the other things. So it, like all the things that matter, like all the like the real benefits, you get those things faster and better. Um, and I think that like that's the real benefit in the learning in the learning space. Well, but that's actually that's actually I think the crux of the argument because what what I just heard you say was that what matters is the quality of a bunch of important stuff and not, you know, dancing things in PowerPoint. But if you go talk to the people that are actually authoring in PowerPoint, they're going to tell you a different story. Because what they're going to say is that authoring in PowerPoint and making things bounce around the page and all the other things that they do is going to make for a more effective learning environment, which will hold people's interest, which will therefore result in better training. Now, I don't actually buy that argument for all the reasons that you've just outlined in that I kind of come down on the side of team you know, efficient content quality that's actually accurate and up to date and doesn't take forever to manage, et cetera. Right. Well, but the other thing too is I think we have, um, we have uh, Trailhead from Salesforce. We have all of Google's learning. Um, I mean, we have like all the major tech companies. They're not building bouncy PDFs anymore. Like you go and you look at their training content and it's like, slightly reformatted tech doc and they're doing that because it's more effective like people don't need bouncy pdfs they need the information written concisely and clearly so that they can learn it and get on with their day like i don't want to sit through something that's going to take me like if it's going to if it take me two minutes to read it and five minutes to watch it bounce around a pdf like right so so again you know you backtrack 20 or 25 years and the conversation was pretty much 
yeah, we can reproduce this stuff. Like I can author it for, let's say, PDF and then also create online help. But that online help is going to be inferior because I can't do fill in a couple of things that you can't do when you're single sourcing and kind of cleaning up your content. So it's basically, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's just the same argument. It's like the wheel of time over and over again. It, it is it is a really funny thing because like you you bring that up and I have actually been in this industry long enough, despite what you may infer <laughs> or, or try to infer, um, that I remember that stuff and um, it's it seems so pedestrian now the idea that PDF and HTML or web or whatever you want to call it um, can be single sourced like but back then it was like it was a thing right. And one of the things that was actually challenging for me when I was first getting into this industry is I just couldn't wrap my head around how this was a thing that people were actually like struggling with. And that, that literally was a challenge for this, for the business, which was at that point in time, easy did a, um, like getting more traction because we just didn't, we weren't in the same headspace. We were like, whatever, like, it's like, you just you publish it here and you publish it here. Like, who cares? Um, and that wasn't the conversation that people were having. And like, we didn't recognize that it was really it was a mental hurdle for people to go over. Um, so it's, it, it, I remember that and in hindsight, if I had understood that better, we probably would have had more con- uh, constructive conversations and we probably would have sold more software. Content rules, but it can be a lot. I'm sure you've noticed that a lot of these topics are connected, but our short podcast episodes barely scratch the surface. Have no fear, because in the description, we have links to videos, blog posts, and other information that help shine some light on some of the more intense, murky topics. In no time, you're going to have a little bit better idea about structured content and enterprise content strategy. Hope you enjoy.